The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. We always say it, we always mean it, we think it's true. Let's see what the buzz is today. Oh my, I found an interesting quote from a woman named Christina Valamaki at www.manufacturing.net. Yes, that goes with the title of this series. Let me read it and then I'll tell you what we're talking about today. She says, working alone Human researchers are incapable of processing the required amount of data in order to achieve the requisite innovations fast enough, particularly given the data overload facing chemical researchers today. So there are a couple of takeaways in there. One is amount of data. Number two is fast enough. Number three is data overload, which goes to the first. And the fourth is chemical. And we're talking about the chemicals industry today. So let's focus. As it embraces maturity, maturing machine learning technology, the chemicals industry is anticipating unprecedented opportunities. That's a yes, that's a bravo, that's a bring it on, but it's also a little scary. What's happening? Machine learning is needed to help them capture process and analyze big data. How does it do it? ML uses innovative algorithms that give them predictive insights and the goal a competitive edge. You want a competitive edge that'll last and keep you going into the future. So let's talk to the chemical industry, the chemicals companies. If you're just curious about what's going on in that industry, stick around. We have a lot of great opportunities for you to learn from my panelists. If your company is still on the sidelines, you're curious, ML, machine learning, AI, artificial intelligence, IoT, Internet of Things, and other innovative technologies, but you're not yet convinced the timing is right to jump in, you don't want Want to miss this conversation. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham, very happy to be here, and I have three experts in this field who are going to help us see what ML has to do with chemicals and where the industry is going or where it should be headed. First up, in just a moment, I'll introduce you to John Santagate, Research Manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights. Joining him on the panel, Ravi Yoshi, J-O-S-H-I, in case you're looking for him, Senior Manager at EY, and John Harrison, Senior Solutions Specialist with SAP Industry Business Solutions chemicals. Very appropriate. So, and a quick shout out to Stefan Gertzkin at SAP, who is one of the co-sponsors of this series and helped put together this panel. John Santagate has sent us for his opening a wonderful quote from Coach John Madden. 
Born 1936, John Earl Madden, former American football coach and broadcaster for the National Football League. He won a Super Bowl as head coach of the Oakland Raiders. I'm just going to leave that alone. Look him up. And he was a what they call a color analyst for all four major networks in the, let's see, starting in 79 all the way up to 2009. Here's the quote. John will tell us how it relates to the topic. He says, the fewer rules a coach has, the fewer rules there are for players to break. I love the quote. John Santigate, how are you? Hi, good morning, Bonnie, and uh, thank you for having me on today. We're delighted. By the way, I have a quick question for you. Do you know Heather Ashton, also at IDC Manufacturing? Well, I have to tell you. We work together very closely. Then you probably know Heather is a regular panelist about every three or four weeks on our series called The Future of Cars with Game Changers, and always great insight. So we're delighted to meet you. John, go ahead and tell me about the quote. Yeah, so so first off, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of American football. In fact, uh, my two-year-old son's middle name is Madden after coach and announcer <laughs> John Madden. So, so yeah, now, you know, what, what I really think... Um, why this quote is relevant is, is I think it really applies to the innovation process, right? Uh, you know, innovation is so important in, in business today. And, you know, really innovation can really only occur with, with outside-of-the-box thinking. So, uh, so companies and, and I think leaders really must be willing to give their innovators, you know, a bit of room to think and to yeah. act freely to really come up with groundbreaking uh, innovative ideas and products and services. And so, uh, you know, I, I think the, the quote here, you know, the fewer rules a coach has, uh, the fewer rules there are for a player to break is really about trusting your people and giving them the flexibility to think differently. Very interesting, John. I, I want you to help me relate this to the chemicals industry. I don't know a lot about that industry, and I think when we hear chemicals, we think pharma, we think drugs, we think uh, uh, Walter White, perhaps. I don't know from, from Breaking Breaking Bad. Sorry, just wanted to give everybody something to say. What we're talking about Walter White on the radio? No, we're not. But l- let's talk about my opening briefly. Machine learning, all of these innovative technology advancements. John, are these critical to the chemicals industry? A, staying in business, and B, growing? What are we talking about here? Is this do or die, or is this just, well, it's a nice to have, it would be good, but we're kind of plodding along. How bad is the situation? Yeah, you know, well, first and foremost, I think it's important to recognize, right, the chemicals industry touches everything, right? I mean, man- mm-hmm. from manufactured products we're talking about, whether it's tires, whether it's cell phones, whether it's touchscreens on, on televisions or computers or cell phones. So it, it is very important, and I think what's happening is it's, you know, the idea of machine learning, of artificial intelligence in the chemicals industry uh, is becoming certainly more important uh, because, you know, when you think about the interrelationship across industries, right, the, the idea of leveraging machine learning is about being better equipped to identify patterns and find relationships that, uh, you know, you really can't find with your traditional approaches. And so, uh, you know, I it, it's certainly not a technology that that's not important in the industry today, and I think it's uh, I think it's very important. And quite frankly, I think it's going to continue to become more important moving forward as the the volume of data that's out there uh, for chemical manufacturers and chemical companies to understand, you know, really continues to increase. 
Thank you very much. We're going to be hearing a lot more from you. Thank you, John Sandigate. Great connection, by the way. We appreciate that. And now let me turn my attention to Ravi Yoshi, Senior Manager at EY. Shout out to our colleagues at uh, your colleagues at EY. Uh, Ravi, we had a couple of them on one of our shows earlier this week talking about risk in business and risk appetite. Very interesting show. Ravi has brought us a quote from Bertrand Russell. Anybody who's very young would say, who? Russell, who? Bertrand, who? Okay, let me give a little background here. 1872 to 1970, he was a, well, I call him a Renaissance man, a British philosopher, a logician, logic, a mathematician, a historian, writer, social critic, political activist, and a Nobel laureate. Oh, my. And that's all I can tell you about him. Go look him up. He was considered a liberal, a socialist, and a pacifist, but he admitted he'd never been any of those things in any profound sense. That's an interesting quote. Here's the quote from Bertrand Russell. Do not fear to be eccentric in opinion, for every opinion now accepted was once eccentric. Well, my goodness, that certainly is interesting. Ravi Yoshi, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing fine, Bonnie. Thank you for having me on the show. We're delighted. Talk to me. So, so eccentric, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's um, slightly different, deviating from normal. And one of the things that I believe is um, you have to be um, you have to be a pioneer. You have to think differently and uh, have a different mindset altogether than what people normally do in order to bring creative ideas and being innovative. And that's that's where we start off. And um, if I if I remember correctly, after going back to my Star Wars movie days, um, there are a lot of science fiction fantasies that were presented in the Star Wars. And today, if you look at it, we thought, oh. Wait a minute, is this really going to be um, reality sometime? But now if you look at it, it's all accepted as normal. So I think, uh, I think, I think that's, that's one of the key areas that we look at. You have to have an, um, eccentric opinions or creative ideas or different opinions from the normal or shake the status quo. That's what I call it. Um, so so that's, that's where I like this quote. I like it, too. I was hoping you weren't talking about me. I've been called a lot of things, but not yet eccentric. I may not be old enough to be called eccentric. I don't know. But, Ravi, let's reflect for a moment on these new technologies we're discussing today in reference to the chemicals industry. Do you think a leader who maybe five years ago had said to a manager, a C-suite person, a CIO, had said to the group, uh, we're going to embrace something brand new called machine learning. And, by the way, I understand the Internet of Things is taking hold, the sensors and everything. Thing, feeding a lot of data, and we're going to go with predictive analytics. Do you think that person would have been, let's say 10 years ago, would have been called eccentric or forward-thinking and wow? What do you think they would have been labeled? They would have been labeled as eccentric. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> because, 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 because I've been in such situations where I've gone in and then uh, used some my mobile device or something and said, hey, we can do this one. I've heard people say, you are light years away from this one. We don't have that technology. We are not there. And then within a couple of years, when we go back and have, we talk to them again, they said, oh, we are there. And so that's, that's a big difference. And, uh, <laughs> and I think it's especially in the chemical industry, I've, I've, I've seen that and I've lived and breathed through that, saying there is a lot of applications, there is a lot of data that's generated, and there is a lot of information they need right at that moment to make key decisions. It's not like I, 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 I can make the decision after one month or one week or one day or something, but I think that's where machine learning is going to be very significant uh, because of the various 
levels of automations and applications that they use. And having people go ahead and pass the data and try to get that information out, it's going to take a significant amount of time. And that's where machine learning is going to come handy. And, and people can do um, a lot of things and um, be able to get the decisions out rapidly. Thank you very much, Ravi. Very interesting, and uh, <laughs> it was funny the way you agreed with me. I appreciate it. Let's move on to John Harrison at SAP Industry Business Solutions Chemicals. And John is quoting, uh, it's not a somebody, it's a something. It's HAL 9000, the computer in the movie, 2001 A Space Odyssey, 1968, Stanley Kubrick science fiction film that was a wow. And let's see, uh, let's see here, I'm looking. It was partly from, did you know it came from Arthur C. Clarke's short story, The Sentinel? John, did you know that? That was the yes, Genesis. Yes, I'm a big science fiction fan. And ah, you are. My go-to guys. And this particular movie is regarded as one of the greatest and most influential films ever made. It was entered into the U.S. Library of Congress and selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. Oh, my. And it was named the greatest film of all time by the Moving Arts Film Journal in 2010. So here's the quote. Everybody knows this one. I almost want to do this as a sing-along, John. Everybody follow the bouncing ball. Hal 9000 says, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. John Harrison, do you have a better Hal voice than I do? Mine wasn't very good. No, but that was probably the first time I really saw something I could see as an AI machine learning piece. I mean, up to then, it had been like lost in space robots waving arms going mad. And this robot had, you know, voice recognition. It had audio analysis. It had the ability to read video, bringing all sorts of senses, which we are starting to talk about today. And it learned and did things. The one question that really stuck in my mind, uh, I'm afraid I can't do that, is good if you're trying to open up the door to the spaceship to outer space, and also good if you're trying to save somebody. So that quote can be both a good thing and a bad thing, depending if you've seen the rest of the movie. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Let me ask you a question similar to what I asked. I think it was John Sandigate. Is this a do-or-die moment for the chemicals industry? Do they have to embrace these technologies? Are they going to be so far behind the curve that nothing will get them back? As John said, chemicals impacts everything, everywhere, every industry. So is this a wake-up call, this particular show we're talking about, these new technologies? Or is this a, yeah, we agree, we're going to do it, or yeah, we're trying it out? What, what's your observation? I think it's a pivotal moment as our customers in the chemical space and the chemical customers, customers down the supply chain transition into uh, a much more of a digital world, the digital twinning of the supply chain in plants. Chemicals, because of the position in the supply chain, has to go. How quickly is a, is a question, but I believe if they don't go, other companies will basically eat their lunch. Okay, there you go. There's a call to action. Thank you very much, John. Pleasure to have you on board. And now we're going to do a little up close and personal with our three panelists. John Santigate circling around to you. Number one question, where are you calling from in general? And number two, what are you drinking right now? Or what's your favorite drink of all time that really energizes you and makes you happy? John Santigate? Sure. So, so I'm calling in today from, uh, from Boston. I'm from the Boston area, actually, uh, 
reside north of the city. Um, and, you know, my cup's actually a, a frosty pint glass, and it's, it's full with a nice local uh, India pale ale. Yeah, I'm not necessarily a, a beer sir, uh, but mm-hmm. I do really enjoy a good IPA. And, and since I travel a fair bit, um, so, you know, when I'm on the road in the U.S., I really try to sample the local brews uh, made by many of the great microbreweries across the country. Very interesting. Thank you. I'm glad you're a supporter of local brews. That's good to know. And I'm sure they appreciate you. I'm sure they're saying, oh, my, here comes John Santagate. Let's get out the best. How about that, right? Have a, have a, Hopefully a, they've got enough to, hold, to keep the appetite. <laughs> <laughs> you have to say that. I couldn't. Thank you very much. Ravi Yoshi, <laughs> Ravi Yoshi, where are you calling from? And what do you enjoy drinking the most, Ravi? Yeah, um, I'm calling from uh, Bengaluru, India. I'm home is U.S. I came here to meet my team, and uh, it's kind of um, uh, 7:30 in the evening. And my cup of tea is um, uh, a cup of tea is always uh, refreshing for me. And uh, one of the things that uh, that, I, that I'm drinking right now is a uh, is a special tea that's made with ginger. And it's very aromatic. And I was kind of surprised when I went to the store um, this evening to go ahead and buy this cup of tea. There were like 20 different flavors. I'm like, really? Uh, and then I was asking this guy, do people buy all of these different flavors? Which one they choose? And why do we have so many? He said, yeah, they ask for other set of flavors too. So it was kind of interesting for me to go ahead and um, look at those different sets of flavors of tea that are being offered right now. Growing up, it was like only one or two of them. But I like to go ahead and taste different cups. So I tried two different things um, today. So Thank you very much. I think we have two panelists so far who are on, uh, shall we say, beverage odysseys. They're willing to try a lot of different flavors and a little different <clears throat> opportunities for the palate. Thank you. And John Harrison, no competition here. I'm interested to know where you're calling from and what you love to drink. I'm calling from, from Toronto, Canada. And I also am doing tea uh, as a... British extraction, I should have enjoyed tea from the moment of birth, it seems, but it was only my trip to Japan and India that really got me going on on tea. So currently, I'm drinking a mixture of uh, white tea with jasmine and uh, milk oolong. And that's nice and soothing. We keep my throat nice and moist for the conversation. But if I was really going to relax, it'd be with a glass of red wine. And I can't quite do that today. <laughs> what, what kind of red wine do you enjoy the most, John? Actually, the back and noir is a Canadian, and it's a dark red, peppery leather, raspberry overtones. Thank you very much. I just looked up jasmine white tea, and you can actually get tea bags. Do you, you buy this as a, a tea bag, or how do you do it, John? Oh, you Philistine. No, it's got to be loose tea. <laughs> oh, I've been accused of worse than that. I've been called eccentric, I think, so I'm not, I don't feel too bad about no, that. No, no, no. So, it's got to be I, I don't want to upset you, but there is something called Asian Jasmine 100% white tea bags, and you can find them at republicoftea.com, but that's only if you're not a purist. And I know that, I, know that I, I knew I was at risk by asking you that, John. Several years ago here on one of our many Game Changers series, I had a British gentleman lecture me in the exact millimeter thickness of the china of the teacup that was ideal and the exact temperature of the water and the exact way you put the loose tea 
into a strainer or some device and you kind of coddled it in the boiling water and how long you steeped the tea down to the second. And it was quite a lesson in tea making. I never forgot it. I also, John, had a British gentleman, another one, inform me, and, and you probably agree with this, that the way Americans drink tea bags, tea out of a tea bag, is called a dusty tea. It's not good. Yeah. You you agree? Yes. I mean, what goes into the tea bag is the leftovers. But for me, true horror is having tea in the southern United States. Sweet tea. Oh. Yes. Cold, cold tea. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> tea. I, I agree with you. I'm from New York, and I didn't like southern sweet tea. I'm moving down south in a month, and I might have to get used to sweet tea, but I don't know. I, I will hark back. I'll try your a version of, of uh, loose white tea with jasmine. I think that sounds delicious. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. All they let me drink on radio show days, and this is Thursday. It means we have two shows right now, 10 a.m. Eastern, and I'll be back with Future of Utilities at 2 p.m. Eastern here on the Business Channel. So they don't let me anywhere near caffeine, whether it's in the form of tea or it's in the form of coffee. All they let me have is water, and I have cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a pink straw, hoping the sun comes back here in New York. A little bit gray right now, but we're having a good time and a very interesting time speaking with John Santagate at IDC Manufacturing Insights, Ravi Yoshi at EY, and John Harrison at SAP. Topic is very important, machine learning, the disruptive potential for the chemicals industry. Are they embracing it? Do they understand it? Do they know that they're just not going to be able to keep up with the amount of data and the insights needed if they just rely on the human brain? Oh my. We have a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a quick 90-second break. You can count along with us, and we'll be back with our formal roundtable, and John Santagate will kick that off. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know how. Kevin out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The manufacturing world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly industry leaders address new trends, overcome new challenges, and take advantage of new technologies. The aerospace, chemicals, high-tech, and industrial sectors are at the forefront of transforming manufacturing operations to truly change the game. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how innovations are driving new challenges and trends across various manufacturing sectors. The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of manufacturing with Game Changers. 
Indeed, and we're back, and we're here with John Santagate at IDC Manufacturing Insights, Ravi Yoshi at EY, and John Harrison at SAP. And let's see our comments today. We're talking about machine learning, disruptive potential for the chemicals industry, and John Santagate at IDC is going to help me kick off the roundtable. Here's some notes John sent me before the show, and he's going to tell us what they mean. He says, getting started with machine learning is not as complex as you think machine learning learning has constraints, and let's just leave it there. John, why don't you expand it, please? Sure, sure. Thank you, Bonnie. So, you know, the thing about uh, machine learning, and I think it goes true for most, you know, innovative technologies, is it really, you know, the, the idea around it sounds a bit uh, confusing, a bit challenging, and, and, you know, can be overwhelming at times for a lot of organizations that are trying to figure out which technologies they should be looking at to to help them in their business. And, you know, the the thing about machine learning, you know, it's there's a lot going on in this space, and it's really, you know, it's a type or a form of advanced analytics that really, you know, automates the process of conducting analysis, right? Every business today, you know, has uh, available to it an abundance of, uh, the challenge sort of that that we've seen uh, over the years is managing these robust data sets. But the point is that there's a lot of data there for analysis. And the thing about machine learning is, you know, it, it's, it's about taking these robust data sets um, and, and really improving or, or streamlining our ability to find patterns and, and make sense of the data that, you know, additional forms of analytics aren't capable of doing. And so when I really think about uh, the complexity of it, you know, it, it comes down to the fact that, you know, we really need to understand that, it, that it's a form of analytics, that, that machine learning is about enabling businesses to, you know, become better at managing the, the vast amounts of data. And, you know, relative to the constraints, again, that goes back to, um, you know, to the idea of the data, right? You know, you can't just drop uh, machine learning technology into, um, you know, into a business process and expect to have quality outputs. Machine learning is really driven by the information that's there to, to drive uh, the engine. And so, you know, the, the constraints is really about the availability, volume, and quality of the data that the, um, that the machine learning technology is, is using in, in, you know, helping to, to add uh, insight to an organization. Okay, thank you very much, John. So the message is it's complex, but it's doable, and you have to understand what you need to do and want to do with it. Ravi Yoshi at EY, we'd love to get your thoughts on what John Santigate just introduced, please. So, so I do, I do agree with um, John Santigate on, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the data availability, yeah, there are a lot of applications that uh, the companies use, and they are looking for automation. They're looking for, um, they're looking for capability to take this information, to take the data and translate into a, uh, an information set where they'll be able to take business decisions. And I think that is the key. And um, so the tools are there, but it's, it's a significant leap from just having a set of tools and having the data sitting someplace versus taking that leap of making making changes or building those algorithms to what is, the, what is the end result that I want to see? What kind of information do I need to get that, make that decision, business decision? And uh, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's really important for organizations to look at what my, what my vision is in terms of analyzing this data or where do I want to go with this data that I have 
and how can I use different sets of tools of machine learning that are available. Thank you, Ravi. John Harrison, you're back with us, I understand. You dialed yes. back. Thank you very much. John, love to get your thoughts on what the other gentlemen have been talking well, about, machine I, learning. I, I wish yep. I could agree more than 100% uh, because they <laughs> right talking directly uh, into some of my beliefs that the one thing that I have found with customers, they don't know where to start. I mean, uh, John talked about the complexity. I think people are taking too big a chunk, and the data clean or unclean, there's a large number of companies who, whose data is not complete. How are they going to process it? Uh, the validity of the data, the cleanliness of the data, the amount of data that companies thought they were processing, uh, to me is a little suspect, but I totally agree with what they're talking about. It's, it's back to what we started with, data and tools. Thank you very much, John. Uh, Santigate, I'm circling back around to you, John. Ask any thoughts on what Ravi added or or about the uh, the agreement from John Harrison. Any thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I think they they both had some um, you know some good uh, commentary to add to the to add to the subject here. You know, the the one thing that I would really think to add again around uh, the the how we started this off. It, it's not as complex to get started as you think, right? We talked about it really starting with the data uh, because that's important. Without the data, there's there's nothing for analytics, and that really applies to all of data uh, analysis. Uh, what, what I think can also be a bit overwhelming at times for organizations to realize is that you know machine learning uh, initiatives, you know, oftentimes. Can, can seem appealing when you think about all of the freeware that's out there to go in and, and try to develop your own technology. And, you know, companies need to be aware that there is an abundance of application development companies that have developed uh, purpose-built machine learning type uh, software that can be dropped in, so commercial off-the-shelf off the uh, software applications that can go in and have a defined purpose because, you know, I think part of what's valuable about machine learning is, is getting defined value out of the technology, and to do that, you need to have sort of a, a defined purpose and really, you know, have at least some structure, I think, in, in how you're... Your, in what your approach is to deploying the technology, but also with an understanding that you're looking to get something specific out of it. Thank you, John. And you gave me a perfect segue into some comments here from Ravi Yoshi in his notes. Ravi says one of the key value drivers is predictive analytics. He says there are many ways machine learning can be used as one of the tools to derive process benefits, and one of these is the use of predictive analytics. Ravi, why don't you give us some examples in specialty chemicals I see here in your notes. Love to hear more. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so he's... He, uh, in terms of the predictive analytics, right? So there are a lot of uh, scenarios in the industry, um, especially in the chemical industry, with lots of equipments being used and a lot of different products being made, and they're shipped out to different locations with different customer specifications. So I, I made like four different points out here in terms of where the volume of data is going to come in. So I can give you a specific example of a quality of the product that you're going to go, that you're making and the impact on the machines and the, that they have. So, so if, a, if a machine is producing um, a, a different set of um, product and the, and the set of results that do not 
um, do not match with the expected set of results. You can go back and build algorithms to give you an idea as to when I can have, when I need to start doing repeatability studies. And, and that, and that involves getting data sets from different areas of applications and then getting the right set of information which will make the company say, you know what, I need to make a change here in this machine on this parameter so that I do not go ahead and have um, a bad quality of the product. Or I can go back and trace it all the way to the end where exactly it started. So machine learning can be used for that. If you start doing the manual process, it's going to take a lot of time. But if you do use machine learning algorithms with all the different sets of data, so it's a complex data set, but you still be, be able to go ahead and get that information from, uh, from uh, this data set, which will help them minimize the product uh, off spec and all of that. Thank you, Robbie. Before I bring in John Harrison and John Sandigate, I'm wondering, could you give us some examples where you have a custom, a specialty chemical for, let's say, customized customer specs, where it, the parameters are unique from anything else? How, how does predictive help with that? So the predictive uh, helps. The predictive helps with different customers, different specialty, um, different uh, specs for those materials. So in certain areas, if I'm making a spec product for a customer with a different set of parameters, I want to go back and revisit and make sure that I'll be able to get the same set of spec products all the way whenever I'm making um, the product for the, for the life cycle of the product. And predictive analytics is going to help me define that moment and so that I won't make, um, I won't be able to go ahead and have, I won't be able to go ahead and miss the spec of the customer. And if it's different for each customer across the globe, then it gives me a vast set of data to go work with. Thank you very much. Uh, John Harrison, love to get your thoughts. You don't have to agree, but you can if you want to. John, what do you think? Do you have any, any specialty use cases you'd like to bring up or talk to me? Well, just to enhance this one, I mean, the prediction of the quality at the end of, end of the day is very, very important because if we make good spec products, we don't have to uh, reuse, reprocess, throw out, reduce wastes. But in addition to that, uh, having a machine that can suggest advisors on what to change to bring the product back into specification is where I think one of the sweet spots of machine learning would be. And even prior to that, being actually able to predict the cost of the production run on the various options based on what's currently happening, I think is key to driving costs out of the chemical industry. Uh, so it's, I see this whole machine learning predictive analytics woven through many, many business processes, and it's going to be choosing those processes that add the initial value very quickly is where I think most people will start. Thank you very much. John Santigate, thoughts, please? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, all, all great, um, you know, great use cases. I, I agree with both John and Ravi here. Um, you know, with, with the, especially in chemicals manufacturing, there, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to engage in predictive analytics to figure out, you know, the, you know sort of the, the what if or the if then type of analytics. Uh, but there's also relative to predictive analytics, I think um, when you think about the manufacturing process in, chemi- in the chemicals industry, right, it's very asset uh, intensive, asset oriented, uh, heavy reliance on facilities and heavy equipment in order to get, you know, oftentimes large production runs to, to bring down the costs. And so when, when you think about the impact of the facilities and the equipment, 
in the assets, uh, I think there's a great opportunity, and, and many, especially in the chemicals industry, are already engaging in this type of predictive analytics and getting to really uh, predictive maintenance of their of their assets. Because when you think about the, the cost of unscheduled downtime, it can at times be in the millions of dollars per hour, right? And so what you, what you want to do in this sort of uh, environment is reduce the risk of unscheduled downtime and allow the machines to inform you that there's an issue that's going to re- require some resolution in, you know, in a two-week time frame. And that allows the, the manufacturing operation to schedule downtime in order to reduce the associated cost of unscheduled downtime and the risk of having idle employees, idle assets, uh, you know, lost of ability to manufacture product and end up with back orders, etc. So I, I also think, in addition to the great points that, that John and Ravi pointed out, that you know, a tremendous opportunity is in the area of um, of predictive maintenance. Thank you very much, Ravi. Anything you want to add to the astute insights from your colleagues on the panel? Yes. So one of the things that I think I missed initially mentioning was this is very applicable and completely agree with what both John S. and John H. mentioned was for continuous process manufacture, it's very important for them to go ahead and have a good control and be able to go ahead and do that predictive analytics at the process level. So that brings out a significant amount of um, difference. And to John's point, uh, John um, H's point, it brings down the cost of the quality of the product. So continuous manufacturing, you produce hundreds and thousands of gallons per hour, and that is that is a significant dollar amount. If you know the automatic change of parameters that you need to do, it will be really helpful for the industry. And that's where that's where um, machine learning can significantly help. Thank you very much. John Harrison, I'm looking at two parts of the notes you sent me before the show, and I want to cover both. We have plenty of time, but I want to cover both. Uh, one, let me just read the first one, have you comment. Then I'll go to the second one, and that's where I think I'll ask the other gentleman to comment. You say, while machine learning has the potential to radically change how we operate in the chemicals industry, I feel that people are expecting miracles to happen when the algorithms are applied to their data. You want to do a little myth-busting here, John Harrison? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the being in love with new technology syndrome. Everybody's excited about it. Nobody truly, truly understands what we're dealing with. Uh, so people, I remember the early days of computing. We, If it came out on green bar paper, think how far back that is, it was gospel, mm. no matter what garbage we put in at the front end. Uh, so when we start looking at this, we see all the opportunity, but... Does anybody truly understand what's coming out? Uh, we've already talked about data and the need for reliable data, which <clears throat> most companies I'm with won't swear that their data is 100% reliable, or even close to it. So I think there's a lot of flaws that are potentially could come into this uh, new endeavor. 
Thank you very much. Let's go to the other statement, Ella. We took care of that. You say with between 5 and 30%. I'm most interested, obviously, in the 30% part of this this uh, spectrum, or shall we say, uh, the, this curve. With between 5 and 30% of a manufacturer's annual gross sales being lost to quality defects in production, uh, and what is a company's cost of poor quality, anything that can substantially reduce the cost and the number of defects will have an impact on the bottom line and must be looked at. So obviously we're referencing bringing in machine learning. John, talk to us. How will machine learning, predictive analytics, which support production, support maintenance, support quality, support analytics of vast amounts of data we've been talking about, how will it help with this loss to quality defects? Well, the whole idea is not to produce bad quality mm-hmm. at all. So anything that stops us producing bad quality reduces that is a plus. So being able to do in-process quality inspection, in-process analysis, while the machines are operating, giving us an advanced warning to adjust our parameters to bring it back into the specification is a plus side. Being able to a piece of equipment say if we keep running and compared to the manufacturing schedule that in you know x number of weeks we're going to start producing bad quality nothing is done is a real problem i also see the potential for machines to actually interlink to each other as one machine identifies a potential problem automatically self-correct and self-correct right the way down the manufacturing line not just on the one equipment so yes we might be producing a lower volume but it's still good quality specification so this to me gets back into trying to automate uh, our whole continuous improvement process that's been part of the chemical industry for years except it's going to be faster and machines are going to add more and more data to it. Again, just trying to drive the problems out. If we make good product, we can sell more, we can sell and make more profit. That's the goal. Thank you very much. John Santagate, love to get your thoughts. And you can also comment on the question of if the ML machine learning algorithms are going to be miraculous in terms of what happens to the data analysis. John, what do you think? Yeah, you know, so I I guess I'll start with the... um, you know, with the first question on the the miraculousness of the of what uh, machine learning can do, uh, you know, I, I think I think it's fairly accurate, right? They're they're not going to change the world um, by dropping, you know, machine learning into an analytics uh, environment into your business process. But what I think is, I think they give us the power and the tools to do better with analytics. Um, so I, I think in that sense. You know, certain instances we may get, you know, amazing results. Um, but, you know, again, not necessarily earth-shattering. The idea is to figure out how do we drive change in our business that is meaningful when you take into account all the change that's occurred over the past 20 or 30 years, and, and as John alluded to, you know, that sort of continuous process improvement that's been going on, especially in the chemicals industry and especially in other sort of, you know, process-oriented man- industries where, you know, a lot of the, the opportunity for value has been extracted, you know, mm-hmm. because of, you know, methodologies like Lean and Six Sigma. And so, you know, what machine learning really does is allows us to figure, identify patterns that aren't necessarily visible without, you know, deeper, a deeper understanding of the data, being able to go wider and deeper with the, uh, the data that's available. So I think there is uh, opportunities earth-shattering, you know, perhaps perhaps not, but I think, um, you know, 
value generating for sure. Um, and so, so I, I think there's a, a lot of opportunity there. And now, you know, I do agree with, with John. I mean, there, there's no question, uh, especially in chemicals, that, that quality uh, output, quality product is paramount. You know, it's not just putting out product that, that you know, meets specifications, that, that is whole, et cetera. You know, there's also the risk of, of poor quality in, once it hits into the market. You don't want to have a product or material go out into the market that um, e- either doesn't perform or could be harmful. And I think we hear, you know, time and again uh, about product recalls because of the unsafe, uh, the, the issues with products or, or, you know, poor quality, et cetera. And so, you know, it, it goes beyond just the bottom line in generating revenue and reducing scrap. You know, things like quality really can impact a, an organization's uh, brand and those are sort of intangible measurements that can be crippling to an organization when, you know, when you go out and, and allow a product to go out into the market that, that isn't for consumption or use, now there, there's a lot to be said about the, the value of the brand that can be deteriorated when, um, you know, when there's a quality issue that hits the market. So, you know, machine learning, to John's point, I think gives a uh, organization the, the opportunity to identify the risk of quality much earlier in the process when there's a lower impact on the organization and also a lower cost associated with identifying that risk. Thank you very much. Ravi Yoshi, thoughts please. Yes, yeah, so I, I completely agree with uh, both, uh, both John H. and John S. And one, one, one thought that I have is in chemical industry, one of the key things is one industry's product, finished product, might be a raw material for somebody else. And somebody else's finished product might be a raw material for somebody else. So there is a lot of interlinking or um, sales of these products going in. So what happens is any change in the supply chain of this particular product is going to go ahead and have a significant impact on the end quality of the product. And that is very important when we go look at um, on how machine learning can drive these kind of things. And to end, when John first, John Santigate uh, talked about the whole supply chain enablement or digitization of supply chain, this is one of the key points. And uh, to, to John H's point of having a quality, producing a quality product is not just for that particular industry, but across the supply chain or throughout the life cycle of this product. It might be an ingredient for some other company, but the quality of that ingredient is critical for the following company that buys this product. So I think, I think it's, it's really important um, that people take um, a little bit of a time and then say, hey, what is the purpose? What, what value am I going to go ahead and look at with all this data? And then focus on those areas and then build the network link across so that they can see a significant result at the, at the end of the whole uh, machine learning algorithms that they can build. Thank you very much, Ravi. John Harrison, instead of going back and asking you to comment on what John Santigate and Ravi Yoshi said, I want to introduce something that is very interesting to me in your notes and go around the table. You say the Bureau of Labor Statistics expect that the position of data scientist will grow by 19% from 2014, obviously that was three years ago, to 2024 in the market research category. Uh, and you mentioned also that Harvard Business Review did a study saying companies using data-driven decisions making are on average 5% more productive and 6% more profitable than competitors. If you're talking big numbers, this is a lot lot of uh, money on the bottom line. John, you want to comment on that? And let's see what the other gentlemen think about the role of needing 
data scientists on your team, in your company, on your payroll, to be able to understand how best to make miraculous discoveries through algorithms and machine learning, because they're the people who know how to, how to bring those miracles to the table. John, talk to me about this position. Well, I mean, it's... We've talked about algorithms, we've talked about data, we've talked about how large the data is, and as a ex-systems uh, analyst, I could get so far into the data analysis aspect of it in my career, but now we're talking absolutely huge amounts of information that blends both structured and unstructured data together, and the only people who are really trained on this are the data scientists. Now, companies are software providers are generating tools to, shall we say, reduce the day-to-day uh, small analysis that the data scientists can get into. And those tools will probably take about 80% of you know, the current work from a data scientist. But to really drive deep insights, you really need to look, look at that additional 20%. And this, these are the people that you're going to pay big dollars to. Uh, mm-hmm. In some universities now, they're just starting to train up these data scientists, but they're going to take quite a while before they come through. So this kind of ties back to my, and a miracle will occur here, if you don't have the data scientists, you will not see that huge uh, incremental step change. So Thank it's you very much. Career if you've got some uh, yeah. students kicking yeah. around for you. Interesting. If you, you said to your kids who were in college, you know, forget about uh, maybe teaching or uh, philosophy. I don't know if that's still a major anymore or basket weaving, depending on where you're going to school. I think you should look into being a data scientist. And, and you know, the myth was, uh, John Harrison, I'm a former programmer analyst back in the day of green bar paper. And I was working on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5. And I was stepping up on a stool to put the disk pack in the deck, the deck in the disk in the disk machine. And I remember all of those days of I, I carried a key punch deck. And uh, you never wanted to spill those thousands of cards from the box before you got to the machine. And uh, what was it? Uh, uh, JDL was it JBL job job anyway never mind job entry system yeah job entry system before we actually got uh, monitors that we could input the data we could keystroke the data and have it go in the cards and I was a crackerjack COBOL programmer in PL1 way back in the day so I identify probably a lot older than you but I identify with those days and here we are talking about data scientist. I would have loved to have had that title back in the day. John Santigate, love to quickly get your thoughts. We're almost in the predictions round. So I tell you what, John Santigate, let's officially make you the start of the crystal ball predictions round. Talk about anything or everything we've been discussing here, but I'd love for you to comment on your thoughts on the growth of the data scientist profession regarding chemicals industry, machine learning, innovative technologies, any or all of the above. I'm going to give you a whole whopping 90 seconds, Mr. Santigate. So you're on your own. Go ahead. I'll do my best to fill the 90 seconds here. So, <laughs> okay. I, you know, I, I'm actually somewhat surprised by the, um, you know, the, the 19% 2024, the, the growth there. Uh, you know, I, I think part of the value with machine learning is helping to alleviate some of the requirement on the folks not not the folks per se, but the ability of people to interpret data because we're we're going to be relying more on these systems to do to do this sort of an analysis for us. Now, what what I'm not saying is that you know machine learning are going to take take those jobs that they're tremendously important, but I think that they're meant to sort of augment those roles and take some of the um, 
the approach to drawing insights out of the data off the hands of people and enable the machines to attack the low-hanging fruit. That said, I do think that we will, I think it's a very important role that there will be uh, tremendous growth in the field of um, business analysis, data, and analytics, et cetera. Um, you know, in, in the crystal ball, you know, in the next few years, uh, you know, I, I certainly believe that the majority of leading organizations will be leveraging uh, machine learning in their analytics efforts. Um, you know, I called out to you, Bonnie, earlier, the, what we see as the analytics gap, and that's mm-hmm. essentially, there's a tremendous increase in the volume of data and a rather tepid growth in um, our ability to analyze all this data. And I think that this is going to drive the need for things like machine learning for folks like data scientists that can help improve machine learning algorithms and things like AI to better engage uh, the information that we have available to, uh, to our businesses. Thank you, sir. Ravi Yoshi, I have 90 seconds for you. They're all yours. Predictions, please. Yeah. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, so my prediction out here is uh, uh, in, in, in the near future, it's going to be um, companies that will be looking at um, companies that will be looking at tools that will allow them to go ahead and make decisions for the machines. So machines will be able to go ahead and predict and then tell you in advance um, on what decisions need to be made. Or in some cases, uh, the decisions will be made by the machines or the applications, uh, which will help them um, make business decisions rapidly. So it is not going to take a lot of time. It's not going to go ahead and have people pass through this data, uh, but it's going to get that information automatically processed and presented to you so that you can, you can, you can go for the rapid decision-making process. Thank you. We have rapid decision-making here. John Harrison, I have 90 seconds for you. Go ahead. I think we're, we're heading for a low-touch manufacturing operation area with the machine learning embedded everywhere to the extent you won't even notice it's machine learning. The information will be presented to you for your approval, suggestions will be put forward, you choose one or change it, and you won't really realize that a machine learning algorithm is in the middle of it. So it's just going to be part of day-to-day business. Thank you very much. And gentlemen, I don't think you're aware, unless you've been tweeting along with me for the past hour, but we have had quite a Twitter party here. I'm I'm delighted to say we've had so many people, so many quote-unquote new faces here on Twitter listening to the show, actively retweeting my tweets, which were grabs of your opening quotes, of your on-air comments, of your roundtable notes. So a quick thank you to Christopher Burnett and Claire at Claire B-O-T-A-L. And we have, let's see, I want to make sure I include everybody, but I don't think there's time. And Subhankar Patanayak and EY Alliances, of course, and Brian Mulder. And who else have we got? SAP for Chemicals and uh, Sabar, you are, you're here again. My goodness. So I th- oh, and, uh, Rajiv Bal, thank you very much. Channel Reach, thank you for listening. I want everybody to know you are appreciated. You're included. Uh, how about Kishantha Naidu? Thank you so much for joining us. And we have a bunch of repeats here. And Claire again. Thank you to everyone for being part of this. Uh, John Santagate at IDC Manufacturing Insights, just brilliant. Thank you so much. Ravi Yoshi at EY, also appreciate 
appreciated. Great insights. And you're all so smart. And John Harrison, of course, drinking his tea the proper way. No dusty tea for him at SAP for Chemicals. And a shout out to the three-person team who sponsors this series. We have right now this one on chemicals is Stefan Gertzkin. Thank you, Stefan. You did a wonderful job putting together a brilliant panel. Also, Thomas Pohl is part of sponsoring the series. And, of course, David Parrish at SAP Parrish underscore Denver. And I want to thank everybody who joined us today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Very interesting conversation. Hope you gleaned some thoughts if you're in the chemicals industry. I hope we sparked some energy in you to get going. If you're standing on the sidelines, dip that toe in the pool and find out what machine learning can do. Don't expect miracles, but expect smarter business decisions. That's where we're going to leave it. So I'll be back in another hour, a couple of hours, 2 p.m. Eastern here on the Business Channel with Utilities of the Future with Game Changers talking about what's happening in the utilities industry. And shout out to Kevin at the Business Channel team for our engineer today for keeping us on the air. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be like John Santagate. Be like Ravi Yoshi. Be like John Harrison. Go out and be a game changer today, right now. That's in order. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management 